Welcome. It's uh, good to see everyone here for Ash Wednesday. And by the way, happy Ash Wednesday. Happy Ash Wednesday. <laughs> are you allowed to do that? I think so. Well, um, Ash Wednesday is one of those days for me and maybe also for you where it just seems like a, a moment to quiet myself in a very sacred moment and to think about the journey to the cross that is ahead of us and to think about Christ's love in a very special way. So I invite you into this, this journey, and we're going to begin a series, Dining with Jesus, which uh, I think is a, well, it's a series we started two years ago, but was interrupted by the pandemic. So maybe it's fitting that we finish it off coming out of it. But I think it's a moment where we see Jesus up close and personal. And I think that invites us into his journey to the cross and to see that in a more personal way and to feel the heart of Christ and to deepen our own spiritual lives. So I invite you to join with me in a moment of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day when we begin the season of Lent, when we think about your journey to the cross and how much you loved us and how much you continue to love us and how much you were willing to give up your life on the cross and all the pain and suffering and take upon yourself the sin and suffering of the world that we might know your forgiveness, your grace and amazing love. So Lord, help us to quiet our hearts and minds and to renew our discipleship as we follow you. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. We are beginning our series, Dining with Jesus, and we are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 14. And here it is that Jesus meets Matthew, also known as Levi. As Jesus went on from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. Well, we begin a series, Dining with Jesus, and this evening we're looking at Dinner with the Tax Collector. And I know some of you are saying, how can you have dinner at an empty table? Well, it's Ash Wednesday, and many of us are fasting. So, and I think the empty table has some significance, which we'll see later. But I want to just ask you for a moment, when you think about Jesus, the images that come to mind when you think about Jesus. For most of us, most of the scenes that we think about, we think about Jesus teaching the multitudes, or we think about Jesus perhaps working miracles. And in many cases, we think about the divinity of Jesus when we think about that. But there's lots of times when Jesus does some of his best work around the table. And I think when we think about Jesus around the table, we see Jesus up close and personal, and we see the humanity of Jesus, which is so, so important. So for a moment, think in your own life about moments around the table with your family. Think of what happens around the table. I was thinking of my own life, and I'm 
Perhaps it's just like you, the moments around the table. Uh, we've had moments where we shared uh, laughter, uh, jokes about happened that day with our lives. We've had moments we shared more serious moments. We've had moments when I had to tell my parents, uh, give a little brief ahead of time before my report card maybe, that it wasn't perfect or something that happened at school. And many of you may have had moments where uh, there was a young person in your uh, home and the person was about to propose or propose and they did it around the table. Or you have, may have asked the person you love to marry you right at a dinner table. We've also shared tears around a dinner table. And so a, a table is so important and so beautiful. We, uh, we have moments after we celebrate someone's life at a memorial service where we often gather around a table and share stories. And there's as much healing that happens around the table as perhaps happens in the service itself. And it opens the door to a future as it sort of soothes our soul. And we also have moments when we celebrate uh, the life of a couple who just committed their lives to each other around a banquet at a wedding reception. And so there's so many chapters, and Jesus shares those moments with us. And so we begin this journey with Jesus, dining with Jesus around a table with Matthew. But actually, before that, leading up to this, we have Jesus. This is very early in Jesus' ministry, by the way. Jesus had healed a leper. Jesus had had some teaching moments in a house, and uh, some friends had brought a loved one, a friend, to the house to be healed. And you remember the, uh, the house was too crowded to get in, and so they climbed up on a roof, and they cut a hole in the roof. <laughs> Talk about uh, party crashers, right? And Jesus was willing to handle all that. I don't know about the homeowner, but Jesus was able to handle that. And uh, Jesus healed that young man and uh, congratulated on his friends on bringing him to them. And so this moment, Jesus comes to Matthew, but he doesn't come to Matthew's home first. He comes to Matthew's office, right? And I think that's nice to remember that Jesus comes also to our place of work. And we wonder, do we take Jesus to our place of work? Now, before we think more about that, I'd just like to remind you that a tax collector was one of the worst peoples in society of that day. And that was for a number of reasons. The first thing is that a tax collector collected taxes for the Romans. And the Romans were the overlords. The Romans were the oppressors for the Jewish folk of that society. And so they were scorned for that reason. But also the way that they made their money was that they charged too much for the taxes. They took a cut and charged as much as they possibly could. There was a lot of haggling, a lot of arguing, and of course they had the Roman law behind them. So they were not just sinners, they were sinners and tax collectors, which were a special, hated, even extra hated group of sinners. So Jesus goes to a tax collector's office, and already you can imagine that people's eyes were, you know, sort of uh, looking at each other, and they were ribbing each other and wondering what Jesus was going to do. But it only got worse because Jesus went and was very personal to Matthew. And again, this was Matthew's office, his place of work. When we think about Jesus in our own lives, many times we think about what? We think about church. We think about a service like this. But it's important to remember that Jesus wants to come into our place of work. And Jesus wants to be in our life, not just Sunday, but also Monday through Saturday. So in the season of Lent, as we begin on Ash Wednesday, are you taking Jesus to the office with you? 
Are you taking Jesus to the school with you, wherever you are the rest of life? Jesus wants to be invited in that moment, in all of those moments, and when we do, amazing things can happen. So Jesus goes to Matthew or Levi, same person, and invites him to follow Jesus. Wow. And all the people just couldn't even believe that because, as I said, Matthew is a tax collector, the worst sinner possible. And what does Matthew do? Matthew follows Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't just saying, come with me. Jesus was inviting Matthew to become a disciple. Now, in this moment, Matthew has to have had a life-transforming moment in his life. Certainly, he will grow in his faith life. Hopefully, all of us do. But to have Jesus, this person who is thought to be the Christ at this moment, who in fact was the Christ, invite him to follow, to become a disciple. And it meant so much to him. So much so that Matthew invites Jesus to his home for dinner, for a banquet. And he not only invites Jesus, Matthew invites all of his friends. And by the way, who were his friends? Well, his friends were other sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> so Jesus and his disciples go to Matthew's home. It does remind us that Jesus wants to be invited into our home. Not just the church and not just our office or school or wherever we work, but also into our home. And how are you doing with that this Lent? And as Jesus is there, he's sharing a feast. We have an empty table here, uh, but they had a, a feast, and they were sharing laughter. Uh, Luke says this was a joyous celebration, a feast, and always probably a little bit raucous. And as they are sharing good times and good food, the religious leaders come, and they've heard whisper on the streets of what's going on, that Jesus, this religious teacher, is going to the table and eating and sharing a feast with Matthew. And so they come to Jesus' disciples. And my mom used to have a word for people like this. Did anyone ever hear, uh, they're so uh, heavily minded, they're no earthly good? Any, anyone, did your parents, do you use that? It's such a good term, isn't it? They're so heavily minded, they're no earthly good. And so in this moment, the religious leaders come, and I think maybe Jesus whispered that to the disciples. They're so heavily minded, they're no earthly good. And so um, they find out what's going on. And Jesus looks at them and says, listen, I've come like the doctor for the sick, not the well. And I have come for sinners, not the righteous. And in this moment, Jesus says something that I think is very, very important. Jesus says, have you not heard, I desire mercy over sacrifice. And I think that's a, a powerful phrase for them, but also something for us to think about in Latin. Now, I don't know what you think about Ash Wednesday and Lent and all of the resources that you have and the things that you think about, but... In this moment, I think a lot of people are more familiar with Mardi Gras, right? That happened yesterday. And uh, in, um, in Pennsylvania, where I grew up in the German country there, uh, German Dutch, they call it Shrove Tuesday, which is where they, they made all kinds of donuts the old-fashioned way. <laughs> and uh, they didn't take any of the calories out or any of the fat out, but man, they are really good. And uh, in New Orleans, of course, there are parades and celebrations, and in Lent, we think about uh, we think about the moment when we begin to pray and to fast. But I think what is important is the backdrop of this is that Jesus was in a home of someone who was an outcast. And I think that's important for us 
Because sometimes when we think about Lent, we think about giving up something. And we think about giving up chocolate or we think about giving up sweets and many other things. But sometimes it's the most important thing that we do is to add to our Lenten service. And so Jesus asked these people to add something to their life, which is mercy. And in so doing, I think Jesus looked at those around him who were outcasts. This evening, I wonder in your own life in this season of Lent to think about adding something to your life, which is to add a little bit more mercy to your life. Today, we think about the people who have an empty table who are perhaps outcast, the last, the least, the lonely, the marginalized in our society. And maybe what we need to do is to do what Jesus did, to invite them to a table or to accept an invitation to their table. And so today, who can you invite to your table? Who can you go to and to welcome to bridge? Our world right now is suffering and sharing a, a war, at least on the screen, of horrible devastation in Ukraine. And we think about people who would be better off sharing a meal than to share enmity. And I know there's no easy solutions here, but we all need to think about reaching across the table to people who may have seemed like uh, enemies and to make friends and to think about those who are without food today and who are without water and who need so many different things and certainly need our prayer as well. I was thinking about the story of Harriet Tubman, who is an abolitionist. And she, in the 1800s, escaped slavery herself in the Deep South. And as she escaped, she decided what she would do was to be part of the Underground Railroad. And in so doing, she would lead people through dangerous trails. And along the way, often they were pursued by people who wanted to kill them. And in one moment, she recalls in the story that she recounts that she was uh, leading a group of uh, ex-slaves who escaped, and they hunkered down as some people were pursuing them who wanted to take them back to slavery or to take their lives. And so they lay in a swamp, and they lay trembling. And she was so scared and worried about not only her own life, but the life of those around her. And so as they lay there and the people were searching for them, she happened to look up and she saw a white man in the distance who caught her eye. And in that moment, she was extra scared, but he held up a key and he held it up and then he put it on the ground and then he pointed to a barn in the near distance and then he quietly left. Later that night, uh, in the cover of darkness, when the people who wanted them and wanted to take them back were gone. She and the other slaves got up and they found the key and she went to the barn where he had pointed to. And they opened the door with the key and in the barn they found a big thing of water, a barrel of water with a note on it that says, some water to refresh you on your journey. I wish I could have done more. But she recounts how moved she was in that moment to not only be refreshed from the water that helped them to go on their way, but also to be refreshed in her spirit because someone had done something that reached across the divide and had touched and refreshed their spirit. How could we do that today in our neighborhood, in our community, and in our world? Today, think about these words of Jesus. I desire mercy over sacrifice. How can we 
add a little more mercy to our lives and to the world around us. I'm going to close with um, a story that I like that I was thinking about again, and it occurred a couple of years ago. But there was this young man by the name of Ben Yehuda, who is a young uh, Israeli who is climbing Mount Everest. He's 24 years old, and his aspiration to become the youngest Israeli ever to climb Mount Everest. And of course, it's an amazing feat for anyone at any age. And so uh, he had trained for months for this event. And he was in the middle of the assault, actually the final assault on the peak of Mount Everest. And it was in the last 1,000 feet, which is called the death zone. And so if you don't have oxygen and uh, you don't have it on your face, and if you aren't uh, covered from the freezing temperatures, you can die very quickly in this, in this death zone. And so he is climbing this and thinking about the peak and the last of the thousand feet, and he happened to look down, and he saw a Turkish man who was 64 years old. His name was Avid Ermak, and he saw that he had his um, mask had, uh, was off as he had fallen on the wayside, and that he was shivering in the cold, and he knew that he would most certainly die. And so he stopped his final assault in the final 1,000 feet from the peak of Mount Everest, and he carried him back, all the way back to the camps for safety, and there he tended to him. He wasn't able to make the assault because you can only have so much time in that sort of oxygen-deprived atmosphere. But later, after he went down the mountain, um, this Turkish man became friends with him, 24-year-old Israeli and a 64-year-old Turkish man. And the, the news caught wind of it. In fact, he was given a, an award for it. But the news media asked him why he would, in aspiring to his dream at 24 years old, the youngest Israeli, why would he would stop and to help a 64-year-old person who could have been viewed as his enemy in some ways? Certainly, Uh, someone from a different country and a different faith. He said, we shared a meal together. And apparently they had, in a base camp below, had shared a meal, and he recognized him, and he felt a a bond that was there. And I think in the same way, when we share a meal, we share water, we share resources for food, even if it's not a meal, to those perhaps overseas, people that are the last, the lonely, the least, the marginalized, those pushed aside, maybe even those we view as an enemy, different race, different culture, different place, we form bonds that Jesus would nod his head, even in this moment, and say, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so today, in a few moments, I'm going to put together a recipe for ashes as symbols of our faith, symbols of prayer, symbols of repentance, symbols of taking on a new life as we move towards Lent. And I encourage us to do what Jesus did, to reach across the aisle, to reach across the table, to invite Jesus into our office and into our homes, and to invite others into our homes and around our tables that perhaps we never would. But Jesus invites us, and Jesus reminds us that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, in this moment when we think about this beautiful moment with Jesus around a table of outcasts, people pushed aside, 
Yet he welcomed and invited them, even one, Matthew, to become one of his disciples, who wrote this very book that we read from, the Gospel of Matthew. You invite us into a journey of faith, and you invite us to stretch our faith through prayer and through acts of service and sacrifice, and even ways that we can show mercy over sacrifice. Help us to do that in a seasonal Lent as we dedicate our lives to you. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. When I was young, we didn't grow up in a church where we did the Ash Wednesday and the imposition of ashes, and I always kind of wondered about that. But in college, I grew towards that and really found it a, a beautiful moment to really mark ourselves with the, with the cross of ashes and has become a very strong uh, personal sacred moment for me. I hope it is for you as well. And so I always like to share a little bit about why we use ashes and I'm going to mix it here for you. So we're doing something around the, the table as uh, well, sort of you're making something. But ashes, of course, um, came from the history of destruction of cities when there was warfare or when there was a fire, or both. And so it was natural that in the midst of a disaster, or in the wake of a disaster, that people would associate ashes with many times a time of, of prayer and of seeking God afterwards. And so uh, that symbol of ashes started the idea of sackcloth and ashes. And then also we take our ashes, are actually from the burned palm branches, from Palm Sunday last year, as uh, Jesus begins the road to uh, Calvary and to give his life on the cross. And so these are burned ashes from the palms, left over from Palm Sunday. And then I like to put a few things in there that I think are um, nice. And the first is uh, some water from the Jordan River. And we think about Jesus' baptism and about dedicating his life in mission and ministry and sharing his life with ours. And we think about our own symbol of baptism in the water of the River Jordan. So I'm putting some of that in here. And and then this is some sand from the streets of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And we think about Jesus willing to come and to give his life and to take on humanity in a, in a cradle as a frail and fragile baby. And we think about Mary and Joseph's faithfulness in this season of Lent. And then we have oil from the olive trees near the Mount of Olives, and we think about Jesus in the garden there. We think about Jesus praying, and we think about it being nearby Calvary. And we think about olive oil also as a symbol of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's very true that when we think about Sometimes when a fire sweeps through an area, perhaps you've seen it, and 
you go through afterwards and you think, boy, this is just, it's like a scar on the earth and you wonder, will it ever come back? And yet we find out that, that ashes is actually very good soil. And so when you have water and we have nutrients there, and given time, those ashes bring forth new life. In the towns where devastation warfare took place and in the forest where the forests were burned, and also in our life when we come for a moment where we offer our lives in a spirit of repentance and prayer, and we add to that the oil of the Holy Spirit, we add to it the water of baptism, and when we put in there uh, the recognition of Jesus come to us in humanity in Bethlehem, then we have room for lots of growth. And so I invite you to just take a moment and reflect about those themes in your own life, and um, then we'll have a litany of prayer, and I will invite you to come forward, and we'll make the sign of the cross on your forehead as a, as a mark of the beginning of Lent, but more importantly, a mark of the cross, of Christ's mark and claim on our lives, and the cross, where Jesus paid the ultimate price, that we would know God's forgiveness and God's amazing grace, and that we are journeying together with the cross, but not just the cross, also the resurrection, the hope of eternal life, the promise of eternal life, and the power of the Holy Spirit for a risen Lord who can take the greatest tragedy and to make it into the greatest triumph. I invite you to take a moment now and to join with me in the litany of prayer that is in your bulletin, beginning with um, this prayer of confession, and I invite us just to take a moment before that in silent prayer. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to struggle against everything that leads us away from the love of God and neighbor. Repentance, prayer, fasting, study, and works of love help us return to that love. I invite you, therefore, to commit yourselves to love God and neighbor by confessing your sin and by asking God for strength to persevere in your Lenten discipline. 